Our scripture lesson this evening is taken from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16 and reading through verse 34. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16 and reading through verse 34, page 1,275 in the Pew Bible, 1,275. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and said, uh, and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm. For we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Thus far the reading of God's word. In conjunction with it, I'd like to read to you from Lord's Day 11 in the back of the Psalter hymnal, page 876, the bottom of the second column. The bottom of the second column on page 876 and continuing on the next page, Lord's Day 11. This uh, continues the exposition of the articles of the Apostles' Creed as a summary of the things that we need to believe. Why is Jesus, the Son of God, called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because he saves us from our sins and because salvation is not to be found to be sought or found in anyone else. 
Do those who look for their salvation and security in saints, in themselves or elsewhere, really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Although they boast of being his, by their actions they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in him all they need for their salvation. Beloved of the Lord, I believe in the last uh, month or so, I mentioned to you at one time that there aren't many examples in the New Testament of pagans being converted. There were many pagans converted by the apostles in the New Testament, and references made uh, to many of them being converted, but their stories are not told. Uh, the stories of God-fearing Gentiles like Cornelius the Centurion and Lydia the Seller of Purple or the Ethiopian eunuch, their stories are told, but they're, they're not pagans. They're, they have already come, before they became Christians, they had come to worship the true God through the evangelistic efforts of the dispersed uh, Jews throughout the, the Greek and Roman world. Uh, there were many God-fearing Gentiles and many proselytes uh, who had become full Jews through circumcision and observing all the laws of Moses. And so uh, uh, they, they are the ones who get a lot of prominence with regard to their conversion stories. But there are three pagans who uh, are uh, found on the pages of Scripture who become Christians. Uh, the Philippian jailer, whom we just read about, Simon the, uh, the sorcerer, and uh, the proconsul of Paphos, the city of Paphos on the island of Cyprus, uh, is a third. Now, the reason for taking note of that is the fact that uh, this man, the Philippian jailer who is before us tonight, asks a question which has caused scholars to scratch their heads and say, what could he have meant by it? He asks, what must I do to be saved? But because he's a pagan, because he has no familiarity with the Jewish scriptures that we know of, they said, you know, his understanding of this question, what must I do to be saved, cannot be or probably, very probably, is not the the kind of understanding that you or I might have or any Jew at that time might have. He, He doesn't, he's not aware of his Uh, guilt before God, uh, any guilt that he might have, he thinks he's taken care of by uh, ceremonies at the pagan temples or uh, acts of contrition or penance or something that he has done to uh, make himself right with the gods. Uh, He's not concerned with guilt uh, before Almighty God in the sense that you or I are, but yet he does have this question, what must I do to be saved? Well, to understand what he might have meant by this, uh, we, we can look at his situation. Uh, he's undergone a very traumatic experience just prior to uttering this question, what must I do to be saved? First of all, he's been awakened by an earthquake. An earthquake in itself is a frightening experience. Uh, the foundations of the prison were shaken, we're told, and that must have been very alarming to him. But even more alarming was the fact that when he came to his senses, when he when he was awakened, he realized that all the prison doors were open and therefore assumed even before he uh, checked, he assumed that 
all the prisoners had escaped, and he reached for his sword. Now, why would he do that? Well, it was the law at this time that if a guard of a prisoner lost his prisoner, if the prisoner escaped, the guard was put to death. You may recall that that happened, that very thing happened when uh, Peter was arrested. King Herod had arrested uh, James, the Apostle James, and put him to death. And when he saw that that pleased the Jews, he decided to arrest Peter and put him to death. And uh, he put uh, Peter in prison under very tight security. But an angel came and uh, put all the guards to sleep and led Peter out of the prison. It was such a surreal experience that Peter thought he was dreaming until he was all the way outside and the angel had disappeared and he realized, well, I guess I really am awake. And he he went to uh, John Mark's uh, home, knocked at the gate, and Rhoda, the servant girl, uh, said, who is it? And he shouted, it's uh, it's Peter. And she was so excited, she forgot to open the gate, but ran inside and announced to uh, everybody, Peter's outside. And they said, no, you're crazy, or it must be his angel, it must be his ghost or something Uh, until finally they opened the gate and saw that indeed he was there. But the story ends with uh, Herod making an an investigation and putting to death the guards that had been on duty when Peter uh, was released by the angel. They paid for Peter's escape with their lives. Now, why would this man put himself to death? Why not prolong his life and wait until he's arrested and then the executioner. At least he might get a few more days or weeks or whatever uh, to live. Well, in this time, it was considered an honorable thing that if you were guilty of a capital crime and you took your own life before you were arrested, before you were apprehended, if you took your own life, that was considered the honorable thing. And there was an advantage to doing that. Not only would you have a quick and easy death, but part of the punishment for letting your prisoner go free was not only that you would be executed if you didn't do it yourself, but your property would be confiscated. Your wife and your children would be uh, set packing out of the house with nothing but the clothes on their back and would become destitute, uh, left to beg or steal or whatever. Uh, No resources left to them because... Uh, you had let your prisoner go free. But if you did the honorable thing, if you took your own life right away, then they will say, well, he did the honorable thing. We can can show compassion to his family, and they wouldn't uh, uh, confiscate the man's property. And so that's why this man is so uh, ready and eager to to take his own life. Uh, It must have been very traumatic for him to realize that Right now, I have to kill myself in order to save my family. But evidently, he was willing to do it, but he was, he was hesitating. And in that moment of hesitation, he hears a cry. <laughs> Don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Well, this shook him to the core as well. Can this be true? Is it possible that the prisoners haven't left? And he calls for a light and he He falls down trembling before Paul. He falls down trembling before Paul. He's had a near-death experience. He's looked death in the face. And not only has he had a near-death experience looking death in the face, but 
he's now confronted with a prisoner whose suffering he had contributed to, this prisoner showing compassion to him. You would think that that the prisoner would be delighted to to see the, the guard kill himself for no good reason at all when the prisoners hadn't even escaped. Serves your right for treating us so harshly. You deserve to die. That would be what he would expect from the prisoners. But this prisoner, calm, kind, compassionate, warns him, don't do it. We're all still here. He doesn't know anything of such kindness and compassion in one who has been so ill-treated up to this point. A near-death experience. And then a man who he can't understand. A man who amazes him. Who has something that he knows nothing about. It's in that context that this man asks, what must I do to be saved? He has had a a crisis experience. He has gained self-knowledge. And what he has learned about himself has shown him that he falls short of the mark. He doesn't have what, what Paul has. And he wants to know, what can What can I do so that I can be like you, so that I can be saved from my fears and and saved from my anguish and saved from from all the things that have come crashing down on me tonight? That's his message. And the answer, of course, is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, at that point, I don't think the man understood much of what Paul had just said. Who's Jesus Christ? Well, we're told that at this point, uh, he takes them out of the cell and takes them home, and, and Paul begins to preach the gospel to the Philippian jailer and to his family and explains who Jesus is and what Jesus saves us from. The content of Paul's sermon on this occasion, might very well be very similar to the content of our Lord's Day that is before us. Why is he called Jesus? And he is the uh, the only Savior, and he is the perfect Savior. Uh, he taught him the gospel that night so that the man could, with understanding, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, indeed, he and his family came to faith and were baptized that very night. So let's look into what Jesus, uh, what uh, the Apostle Paul might have explained to him. Why is his name, why is he called Jesus? Well, he's called Jesus because the name Jesus means Savior. It means the Lord saves. It's made up of two Hebrew words joined together. The uh, word for the name of God, Yahweh, the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is translated in our Bibles as Lord in all capital letters. There's another word, Hebrew word for Lord, uh, Adonai, uh, which uh, is written with, also translated Lord, but with a lowercase O-R-D, so that you can distinguish the two. When you see uh, Lord in all caps, it's Yahweh. Well, Yahweh combined with the word uh, for, the Hebrew word for save, comes out in Hebrew like uh, Yahshua or Yeshua, 
and uh, translated into Greek is Jesus. Uh, Yahweh is God's covenant name. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, the covenant God, Yahweh, is the God who saves. And Jesus is the covenant God come to save his people from their sins. Many Old Testament passages uh, speak of uh, Yahweh the Lord as Savior. Isaiah 43:11, I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. And again, Isaiah 60, verse 16, You shall know that I, the Lord, Yahweh, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Jesus' name means, Jesus is the means by which the covenant Lord fulfills the promise to be the Savior of his people. Jesus uh, as Savior was foreshadowed by two other people named Jesus, although because they were Old Testament uh, people, they go by the name uh, Joshua, which is the uh, the Hebrew rendering of the Greek word Jesus. Uh, Joshua the warrior and Joshua the high priest. Joshua well, the warrior was the one who led the people into the promised land to defeated the kings of the south and defeated the kings of the north and uh, delivered the land into the hands of the tribes of the people so that each tribe could get their inheritance. He gave them rest in the promised land. He defeated their enemies and gave them rest. Jesus also is our warrior savior who has done battle uh, conquering sin and death and hell. He has won the victory that was promised in Genesis 3, verse 15. He has uh, crushed the head of the serpent. We all were held in captivity by Satan and by death, but Jesus has taken the captor and led him captive. He has led captivity captive. He has delivered us, saved us from our enemy, and brought us into the glorious kingdom of God and into the promised rest. The Old Testament high priest, Joshua, was the one who sanctified the people by offering sacrifices on their behalf. Jesus also is uh, a, a high priest, Hebrews 11. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus is Savior, Savior who defeats our enemy and brings us into the promised land, Savior who offers the atoning sacrifice that pays for our sins. And for that reason, forgiveness is found through faith in the name of Jesus. When Jesus was about to depart this earth and return to heaven, he gathered his disciples together, and we read in Luke 24, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. Repentance and forgiveness of sins preached in his name to all the nations. Peter in his Pentecost sermon says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus is the name that means Savior, and forgiveness is found in that name through faith in that name. 
This was foretold by the angel who came to Joseph when Mary was still pregnant uh, before she had given birth. And he was told, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Knowing that the name is God-given and descriptive of the work of salvation, salvation makes this name precious to believers. We have often sung how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ears, soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fears. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. His name is good news. His name is the gospel. Paul, writing to the Philippians, says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is he called Jesus? He's called Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. But he's also called Jesus because he is the only Savior. He's called Jesus because there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only one who is capable of saving human beings from their sin. He is human, and therefore he can stand in our place. He is sinless and therefore can offer to God the perfect sacrifice for others. He is divine, and therefore he can bear the full weight of God's wrath in his uh, divinity and not uh, be eternally crushed by it. No creature can do that for us. No sinner can do that for us. No angel can do that for us. Only Jesus if your hope of salvation is based on anyone or anything other than Jesus alone, then you really do not believe in the Jesus as the only Savior. Paul, writing to the Galatians, says, you know, who has bewitched you that you so quickly turn away? They had, they had begun well, but they were beginning to think that we also need to obey all the commandments of Moses if we're going to be right in the sight of God. We're made righteous by faith, but if we want to stay righteous, we have to uh, continually earn that righteous position. And so they uh, were beginning to be drawn away. But Paul makes clear that if you go down that road, <laughs> you fall off a cliff. It is to be severed from Christ and it is to, to fall from grace. He's not saying that any of them had already done that, but they, they were in great danger if they would continue in that direction. And he has confidence that, that those who are true to the faith will indeed uh, come back from the, from the ledge and uh, walk the straight and narrow path of by grace alone, through faith alone. Jesus is the only Savior. Uh, we are not to add anything to that. And uh, we also emphasize that same truth by saying that Jesus is the perfect Savior, the perfect Savior. He saves by his work without any assistance or help from us. This needs great emphasis because a good part of Christendom has uh, fallen prey to the theological error that Christ makes salvation possible, but you have to make it actual, that Christ uh, offers you salvation, 
and, uh, but you don't uh, re- uh, have salvation unless you willingly accept it, and that your willing accepting it is a prior condition to you receiving salvation. Uh, some uh, like to use the uh, illustration that uh, we are in debtor's prison, and Jesus has paid the debt and showed to the guards that the debt has been paid and orders them to open the door and invites us to come out. Uh, but that's not a good illustration. Uh, if we are indeed in a cell in debtor's prison, we are there as corpses. In fact, uh, one of the beautiful hymns of the faith that's in our new Psalter hymnal uh, written by uh, Charles Wesley, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the cross, in the Savior's blood? Uh, The fourth stanza talks about being imprisoned and Christ coming to us, not with an invitation, but the fourth stanza says he comes to us with quickening power. Quickening power, which means he comes to, to make us alive. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and so uh, he has to come. Uh, his name means Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, said the angel. Not he will make possible their salvation. No, he'll do it. Jesus affirmed, I shall lose none of all those the Father has given me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Those who have been born again have been born again from above, born of God, not of a human decision, but of, uh, uh, of God. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But some of you say, well, we have to believe, right? Yes, we do have to believe, but not as a prior condition. Uh, Our salvation is not conditioned on us first doing something, and then if we do it, then we get it. Uh, Faith is a response to his having already made us alive. When he makes us alive, then he gives us the gift of faith. And the exercise of faith is our response to what he has already done uh, when he made us alive. He's the perfect Savior because he does it all. He does it all with regard to the guilt of our sin. And he does it all with regard to the corruption of our sin. We are not only justified freely by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but we are also sanctified by the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, He uh, gives us the desire to grow in grace. He gives us the strength to grow in grace. He points the way for us. He gives us the path to follow. He has uh, done it all so that uh, when we are made glorious at the end, he will receive the thanksgiving and the praise for it. Now, one of the ways in which uh, you can sort of test yourself to see whether or not you really believe in Jesus as your Savior, the only Savior, and the the perfect Savior, is the the way you deal with the, the guilt of your own sin. It has happened from time to time in my ministry that someone will come with a sad and heavy heart and confess to me that they've done something that they are deeply ashamed of. Usually it's something uh, very secret that uh, nobody else knows about. And they are deeply troubled because they have been praying for some time that God would forgive them. 
but they still feel that, that God is angry with them and that they, they just can't feel forgiven. And they say, what, what's going on here? I, I've confessed my sin to God. I've asked Him to forgive me, but I still feel so guilty. Why am I feeling so guilty? Why, why isn't the gospel working for me? Well, with the help of others, I've come to understand that the, the problem is that usually in that situation, the person thinks they, they have to qualify for forgiveness. I might ask them, do you think you deserve to be forgiven? And they say, well, that's the problem. I, I know that I don't deserve to be forgiven. And because I know I don't deserve to be forgiven, I can't feel forgiven. Well, I say to them, well, you're right in a sense. You don't deserve to be forgiven. But the nature of mercy is such that God forgives the undeserving. You see, uh, you're feeling so guilty. You, You see yourself down here in the gutter, all covered with mud and muck and mire of your sin. You wish you were up here on a high moral plane where your sins were, were very tiny and little and minuscule. And if, they were, if you were up on that high moral plane and you asked God to forgive you, you would say, well, uh, my sins aren't that great, and I'm sure that uh, God can, can forgive those kinds of sins. But that's not where you are. You're down here. And, and the only way you're going to get up there on that high moral plane is if you go a year or two years or three years without committing that sin again. If you can go that long, then you can can congratulate yourself. Well, I'm not that kind of person anymore that does that kind of sin. Now now I think God can love me, and now I can feel forgiven. Uh, You've fallen into the error of... (laughs) of the Gentile, of the, of the Galatian churches uh, that uh, think they have to, to they, they begin with grace, but then in order to stay in God's favor, they have to perform. And if they can't perform, they, they feel that God must still be angry with them. God, Christ came to the prostitutes and to drunkards and to thieves and he preached forgiveness to them and called them to repentance and and they were forgiven and and they they rejoiced in his free grace the scribes and the pharisees who were legalistic and proud of their behavior jesus said you know those sinners are going into the kingdom ahead of you because you don't understand the nature of grace Grace is for sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not the healthy who need a physician, it's the sick. You and I are all down in the gutter all the time as far as God is concerned. We have too high an inflated opinion of ourselves if we, if we don't see ourselves in the gutter all the time. But that shouldn't stop us from believing that He loves us. And that Christ Jesus did it all for us. He's the only Savior. He's the perfect Savior. He saves His people from their sins. Hallelujah. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You that He comes to sinners who are in the gutter, sinners who have done terrible things, and assures them that by His grace, their sins are forgiven, and that uh, there is no sin so great that uh, if we do not look to Christ, we can't be forgiven. We pray, Father, that we may believe the gospel 
and rejoice in the good news of salvation for those who are lost. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.